We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Ray Dinger, it is time for this week in Philadelphia sports history brought to you by Scheib Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at scheibsports.com. By the way, best caller of this hour, so we can get two or three in, wins a $50 gift certificate to Shibe Sports. Ray, it was, oh my gosh, 1968 was what? 1968 was 54 years ago? Don't remind me. Get (laughs) that. Wow. It was 54 years ago yesterday. And people don't believe this story, that this actually happened. So I need you to confirm this. All right. It was a cold and blustery February afternoon in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 11,000 people are at the Spectrum. By the way, the, the one-year-old Spectrum. Right. In South Philadelphia. It just opened in October. They're going to see a matinee performance of the Ice Capades. And 11,000 for the Ice Capades was more than the Flyers were drawing for hockey games that at right? that time. Oh, yeah. Well, it was better skating. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, the wind picks up. Great. What happened? The roof blew off. It really happened. <laughs> it really it's did. It's really true. Yeah, a big big chunk of it. I mean, not the whole roof. The whole roof didn't fly off. That's how I, I always envisioned it. Like, it would just pick up in one thing and, like, fly into the into the delta. Yeah, it, it wasn't quite that, but, but one chunk of it uh, at one end of the building um, did rip off. Here's what the story... And you could actually, you could actually see the sky. Yeah, I pulled... <laughs> It's an open-air stadium. I pulled the story up, and it says, While spectators watched in amazement, high winds ripped away a 50-by-100-foot section of the roof and sent it crashing to the ground outside. Here's um, This This is a highlight. The guy you're about to hear, by the way, is, is you're going to hear a couple people. One is Lou Scheinfeld, who we're going to have on in a minute, and one is our old friend Larry Kane. So here's them recalling the episode. It was a Saturday uh, morning in February. Uh, Maybe four months after we opened, we had an ice capade show. Midway through the show, this fierce wind kicked up and this howling wind around the building. And all of a sudden, if you looked up, you could see light. You had to be there to understand it was really a cave-in. It wasn't just a small hole. And when, and every and all the writers in this town, you know, writers in this town can be blasphemous. And uh, in those days, they just knocked the whole city and the inspection establishment and Snyder and this and that. And, you know, it happened. First of all, it doesn't sound like you could just see light. It sounds like you could see God based on the music they're playing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and Larry Kane says, people got nasty about it. I want to read you. This was Sports Illustrated writing about it a little bit after. 
It's a little bit overwrought. The writer's name is William Johnson. The last cheer to echo inside Philadelphia's spectrum faded nearly a month ago. He's been writing in March. Since then, the new arena, which is built along the clean, if uninspired lines of a six-story sardine can, has sat vacant and silent on the sullen, windswept, windswept flats of South Philadelphia, where once, coincidentally, the city dumped its garbage. Inside the building, where both the NBA 76ers and NHL Flyers pulled big, noisy crowds all winter, there is now only the sound of raindrops leaking down on some of the 15,000-plus seats this and the whisper of wings as pigeons soar past the blacked-out scoreboard. It is gloomy, all right, in South Philadelphia. So who wrote this, Dickie Dunn? <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get the story. Just trying to get the just trying to get the spirit of the thing. Um. So I I get you know what? So Lou Scheinfeld, who is the guy you heard in that thing, who was the President of the Spectrum, or I don't know if he was at the he time, was, but ended VP, up yeah. and VP of the Flyers. Uh, let's get him on and talk about it, Lou. Um, I hope that we kind of recalled it accurately. Were you in the building that day, Lou? No, I was not. I actually was out of town. Uh, oh, convenient. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I blew. I blew town, and uh, I was not there. But it was, uh, you know, I think around two o'clock on a Saturday, and. 11,000 people were in the stands for an ice capade show. And, um, uh, you know, South Philly is always very windy down there by the end of the city and the Delaware River. And huge wind comes whipping across the Spectrum roof. And um, the Spectrum had a, a four-foot parapet. Is that the word, parapet? Uh, meaning that the, the brick facade went up four feet above the roof. So the wind whipped across the top of this um, four-foot uh, wall and created a vortex, <laughs> which lifted tar paper and insulation. The roof never came off. Tar paper and insulation did, but it touched off a whole bunch of uh, political uh, scenes after that. So then, you, so then, Lou, you have to now you have to start scrambling and re and work out a flyer schedule. And a Sixer schedule that because they still have games. I mean, they're they're out of the building now because the ice capades are there. But they got to come home at some point. Uh, and you all of a sudden had to start patching together a whole new schedule. I know that the Flyers wound up, and the thing was, the Flyers. This was their first year, and they were playing really well. You were the you were in first place in that Western Division or whatever they call the where all the expansion teams were. You guys were leading the division and playing really good hockey. And all of a sudden, you didn't have a, you didn't have home ice. Well, uh, the roof, uh, we patched it up, uh, uh, believe it or not, with uh, more tar and more paper and stuff. And two weeks later, it blows off again on, yeah. on March 1st. <laughs> and this time, it, it opened up a much bigger hole. See, the, the, the uh, tar paper, the insulation, and under that was a perforated metal roof, uh, perforated so that the sound wouldn't bounce back down. Uh, for the PA or for a concert. So you can see through to the sky. And one of the funny things was that at that ice cafe show, the, the orchestra started playing, off we go into the wild blue yonder. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it blew up again two weeks later on March 1st, and Mayor Tate was running against uh, Arlen Specter for uh, mayor. And uh, both of them wanted to close the building first. And uh, then we were out of that building for 35 days, and the Flyers played uh, in uh, at the Garden, a home game in Madison Square Garden, and one in uh, Toronto, 
And then we moved to Quebec, and we and for the next for thirty five days we were out of that building. It's tough to be a fan that year. So I just kind of want to jump ahead because what happened was the thing became such a such a white elephant. The city really didn't have the capability to handle it. That Ed Snyder, to his credit, recognized an opportunity, and my sense is. I'm going to allow you to say what happened, but this became a huge step forward for Ed Snyder, the Flyers, and everything that he ended up building. Well, yes. Uh, you know, uh, Jerry Wallman was the impetus for the whole project uh, to build a new arena and get a, uh, a hockey franchise for Philadelphia. Jerry was the uh, young owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Ed was his uh, vice president and treasurer. And uh, because Wallman was a developer, he he actually helped secure the franchise for Philadelphia because he would build a new arena. And uh, unfortunately, he went bankrupt. Uh, he was building a Chicago uh, tower, uh, and it, uh, they had foundation problems, and Jerry wound up going bankrupt. And Snyder picked up the pieces. Uh, uh, otherwise, you know, that building might have never been finished, and the fires might have wound up in Baltimore. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, that but that first year it was Lou, I mean you uh, just to, for folks to know a little bit about Lou's background. Lou is a newspaper guy. Worked at the Philadelphia Daily News was a city hall reporter for the Philadelphia Daily News for a good long while. Did a lot of stuff in the city and when um Ed Snyder and Jerry Walman started putting things together to build the Spectrum and bring a hockey team to big an NHL franchise to Philadelphia. Uh, they reached out to Lou and brought him and brought him on board, and made him the VP and helped put everything together, but you know, when you, when the, the idea of hockey coming to Philadelphia, the National Hockey League coming to Philadelphia and coming into that building, to a city that really didn't know that much about the sport, um, were you optimistic right, right from the beginning that hockey was going to make it here? Because I know the, uh, the initial feeling among the media and a lot of the sports writers in town, you know, the veteran guys, the merchants, the Hockmans, all those guys were very, very skeptical about hockey succeeding in Philadelphia. And, and so was my wife. <laughs> I had a nice job. I covered City Hall. I became a, a night city editor. And uh, all I ever wanted to be was a reporter. So I was in heaven. And then when they offered me this job, I, they had offered me jobs before that, uh, uh, different things at the Eagles. And they bought the uh, cab company. They were starting NFL films. And I just wanted to be a reporter. And uh, then one day Snyder said to me, we're going to try and get a, a franchise in the National Hockey League. I said, well, that's nice. You know, Philadelphia's not a hockey town. He said, but if we do, we have to build a brand new arena. Would you be interested in coming in and help us start both those projects? And I said, well, that's a game changer. And I said to my wife, if, if this happens, I'm going to go. And she says, I think you're nuts, including a lot of my friends uh, thought I was crazy. And uh, looking back on it and writing this book I just wrote, um, I wonder if I would I would do that again. Um, but I had faith. I had faith in Snyder. I had faith in Jerry Woolman. I knew Philly. I knew Philly sports fans. I thought it would go over. Uh, tell just tell us quickly about the book. You have a book uh, that's uh, about your career. Uh, yeah, it um, it uh, goes back to the beginning of uh, me being a, uh, growing up in a candy store in North Philly and winding up as a reporter with the Daily News and then going to the uh, Flyers and Spectrum. Uh, it's called Blades, Bands, and Ballers. And uh, 
it's available at all the bookstores. And uh, if you want an autographed copy, uh, go to my site, uh, themuseumofsports.org. And I'm very proud of it. It, uh, It's my only book. I've never written a book. I don't know if I'll write another one, but I had a lot of fun. And it brought back memories, you know, from 1966. Uh, And I had to do a lot of research. I talked to dozens of people, uh, people at electric factory concerts, a circus, uh, different people. And uh, it it just was was cathartic. And uh, I did it because... Whenever I would meet people or talk to people, they would say to me, you got, you have great stories. Why don't you write a book? So uh, like Ray Dittinger, I wrote a book. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, and there really is a lot of really really good, funny stuff in there. I, I really enjoyed reading it, Luke, because a lot of it was familiar to me. But some of the stories about you know the concert people, Elvis Presley, um, you're dealing with the mob guys down in South Philadelphia who would come in and ask for tickets to the circus, dealing with the mayors, the politicians in this town. It's really a fun book for anybody who wants to know anything about how it all started down in South Philadelphia. Blades, Bands, and Ballers is really a fun read. Lou, we, uh, we appreciate you jumping on and telling us that story. Look forward to reading more, man. Well, thank you so much. All right, thank you very much. So when the roof blows off and the spectrum falls into disrepair and the city it's become this boondoggle and so on, what happens where Snyder saw the opportunity is he offered the city a deal. And he, got a, he said, I'll get a lease on the building. And he got a lease that I think was 25 years at $1,250 a month, <laughs> which is less than people pay for rent in their house. Yeah, I know. And he got it, and it allowed him to build it back and to, they got the Sixers back in there. He made money off of that. They got the ice capades. They got the circus. They got religious conventions. They got a concert. They got everything. That place was uh, maybe at one point the most booked arena in the country. Oh, I think it was. And the money all went to Ed. And listen, he saw the opportunity, and he used that to build up the flyers and Spectacor and all the other things that he built. And that was that was the turning point for him. Listen, he already had a hockey team, but that was the turning point that made Ed Snyder into a very, very wealthy man and a hugely influential person. Yeah, they went around and around with about what to, what to name it. Uh, and Lou was actually the one that came up with the name Spectrum, uh, was the idea that we sh- it's going to be more than just an arena for sports teams. We're going to bring concerts in here. We're going to bring conventions in here. We're going to bring everything in here. And we wanted, we're going to do the whole Spectrum. And it was like, hey, that's it. The Spectrum. It's a good name. It was a great name, and uh, they called it America Showplace, and, and it really was. And I'll tell you, I was there when they snipped the ribbon, and we all walked inside for Meet the Flyers Day, our first look at the place. And I remember walking in there and thinking, man, this is beautiful. <laughs> because I mean, Arenas I'm, will never get better than this. Honest, honestly, I mean, I'm a kid that grew up going to the arena at 46th and Market Street, which was falling up, literally falling apart. I mean, there the roof was falling in on you. It wasn't blowing away. Uh, I mean, and it was so dingy and dark. Um, and to walk into the spectrum, it, it was just absolutely, yeah. at that time, 67, it was a beautiful building. Yeah, well, that is our this week uh, Scheib Sports moment in Philadelphia sports history. And again, uh, the uh, best call of this hour gets a $50 gift certificate to Scheib Sports. Let's go to Rod in Mount Airy. He wants to talk about Carson Wentz, which we brought up at the start of the show. What's on your mind, Rod? Yeah. Uh, I want to know... Is Carson Wentz becoming the next Jeff George? Oh, that's um, I say this because I see a couple of things in similarity. Uh, some nagging injuries uh, that are affecting the mechanics. Uh, Wentz and George, the 
attitude uh, and the approach to the game. Uh, preparation for game day is a little bit shaky sometimes. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? I think it's a really interesting comparison. Bad teammate, stubbornness, pass through the Colts. <laughs> I don't know. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, it. It is. There are some. There definitely are. There, def, there definitely are some similarities. Um, I mean, Jeff George was the 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 first pick in the draft. Carson was number two. Um, you know, George was just a great passer. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, you could talk to some NFL scouts today, even today, guys that have been doing it for a while, who will tell you that Jeff George's workout when he did his individual workout before the draft when he came out, was the best workout they had ever seen a quarterback have. Better than anybody. Mm. Better than Montana, better than Marino. In, in terms of just his ability to throw the football. The Jeff George just threw the ball better than anybody they had ever seen. That's how he wound up being number one. But he had, um, he wasn't very smart. Uh, whereas Carson Wentz was very smart. Um, but there was an obstinance about him uh, and uh, an inflexibility about look, I'm going to play the way I want to play, that did make them similar. Um, and George had some success. Never had the success that Wentz had in, 20, in 2017. Never played as well as Wentz did that year. Uh, but he had some moments in the course of his career where he played well. But you look back on him, and whenever people tell the stories about, boy, the what could have been. Yeah, he's a good one. Jeff George is always in that discussion. Yeah. And you know what? Carson Wentz probably will be too. Yeah, I think it's a good comparison. I mean, obviously they're not exactly the same guy, but there is a lot in similarity and the expectations for both of those guys and the talent that both of them had and both ended up being kind of, eh, it didn't really, didn't really happen. Um, by the way, the ratings came in for the Super Bowl. Yes. Pretty solid. Uh, spectacular. Really, really, really. A hundred and twelve, more than one hundred and twelve million people watching, uh, which was a big jump over last year. And you would have thought that last year, with the to whole Tom Brady story, would have been a big, big audience. Yeah. Last year they yeah, did Brady not... versus Mahomes. Last year, Mahomes is the hottest thing going too. Yeah, I mean the argument of of the greatest quarterback of all time versus the greatest quarterback of today mm -hmm. seemed like a, a irresistible draw. And that did ninety four million this year, one hundred and twelve million. So, um, wonder why. You know, I, I don't know. Did COVID have something to do with it? I don't know. COVID has something to do with everything. It seems to. Yeah, it, and I can't even always figure out how and why and what. I mean, you're stuck at home. What else are you going to do? Yeah. You know what always amazes me when I hear that number? So what did you say, 112 people watched the Super Bowl? 112 million. Okay. What were the other 238 million Americans doing? <laughs> right? The country. I think I read recently the country has reached 350 million people. Right. It's a lot, but whatever. So you, what are those other people doing? I mean, I guess some of them are two years old and so they're you know getting their diaper changed and i guess some of them are grandmas although i know a lot of grandmas who watch I, I, that's the part that always amazes me mm -hmm. football i saw a thing recently i may have showed it to you or we may have even discussed it on the air it was a list of the hundred most watched events on television in 2021. Oh, you showed me this. One. Right. And right. it included TV shows and it included news events, political things, you know, whatever, anything that was on TV. And 75 of the hundred most watched things on TV last year were football games. Yes. Pro or college. Right. Mostly, overwhelmingly pro. There were a couple bowl games probably in there. Uh, and I think like another seven or eight were basketball, NBA games. Or I shouldn't say NBA, probably uh, NCAA probably, tournament. Probably the tournament, yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Uh, and so, like, 85 of the top 100 watched things. 75 were football, 10 were basketball, and the rest were scattered. Like, you know, Oscars night was one thing, and there was one political thing, but I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was the, I don't know what would be the big political thing. The inauguration, maybe, was it, right? That was in 2021. Right. Maybe that's what it was. Um, and there was, like, two shows. And it just shows you the hugeness that is the NFL. The, it's even as people say, ah, it's down. People don't watch it anymore. Uh, uh, whatever. It's people. It is it's the, not true. It, no, it's a it's a mega monster. It, it's, it's a monster and is a monster. What? But what's conspicuous by its absence in that list is baseball. Yeah, I know. it's baseball. And here and here's baseball well, further killing itself. Listen, driving you, itself even deeper into the ground. You and I ranted. I did most of the ranting, but at the start of the show for like 10 minutes about baseball and there's no spring training and all the people here plan to go down there and, and so on. And can they change the game? I got some nice calls here. Not one. Nobody's talking about baseball. Nobody. It's Ray. I would not have believed it years ago. And I believe it now. It is a sport that has lost its, its place in American culture. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, if the Phillies become what they were back in 06 to 011, to 011, 06 to 11, in this town it'll matter, but it'll never be. Nobody knows. You know, it's so funny. Um, the Washington Nationals offered Juan Soto a deal for $350 million, which he's probably going to turn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juan Soto could walk down Broad Street and nobody would know who he is, and most people don't know his name. Right. Mike Trout, people kind of know because he grew up here. He goes to Eagles games. That's how they know him. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They know him through his association well, with never, the Eagles. They've certainly never seen him in the postseason. Right. Right. And baseball just doesn't have anybody that anybody knows or cares about. Yeah. Mike, okay. Mike, Mike Trout's profile is through the lens of football. I mean, the best yeah. player in baseball is better known for going to football games. Yeah, that's true. All right. Alex in Exton, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Alex. Hey, a um, couple things. Uh, I think Carson Wentz uh, was overrated in 2017. I think that if Nick Foles had played – uh, that entire season uh, would have. Did you watch him that year? Well. Did you watch him with your I, eyes that I, year? I think they had a great team that surrounded him. I'm just saying that I think if Nick Foles played, he would play just as well. And uh, okay. that's my opinion. Uh, and my my last point, and uh, I admire both of you greatly, especially Ray. But as a former former English teacher. Although, Ray, you've been better in the last five minutes. Please, action verbs take adverbs, oh, thanks. not adjectives. I, I really appreciate you the... teaching us how to write and how to speak. That's good. Thank you. He's a former English teacher, Ray. Uh, I heard him say that, yes. You've won a few National Journalism Awards? Um, I'm not, well, I don't know, maybe. I think you did. I won a few National Journalism Awards. Mm-hmm. I've written six books. You've written how many books? Uh, Twelve. Yeah. So get those action verbs in there and stop with the adjectives. I appreciate that. Uh, what he may not realize is that speaking contemporaneously sometimes does not allow you to edit your stuff as much as you would. And when we do radio, we are kind of living in the moment. So if we don't speak as well as he likes, I apologize. Hmm. Scheib Sports Caller of the Hour? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, by the way, I also I also don't agree with this point that Carson Wentz wasn't wasn't. Well, that's a given, but go ahead. No, I, I know this is <laughs> – I knew this conversation was going to – just raising the name of Carson Wentz was going to open the door to this conversation. Um, but the revisionist history is out there now. He was never really that good. Um, 
go back and look at go back and look at what he did in 2017 when he was when he was really rolling there. Uh, I, I gave you the numbers. It was the best. It was the best stretch of football that an Eagles quarterback has played probably since Van Brocklin, uh, and he was the best player in the NFL up to that point. Then the injury happens in Los Angeles, and things have never been the same. And you can say whatever you want about Carson Wentz today. Uh, you can talk about what his career has become. Um, that's fine. That's all fair game. But to now go back and say, hey, you know what, he was never that good in 2017 is just pure nonsense. If you go back and look at it, he was the best player in football, and he was the reason that the Eagles were where they were at that point in the season. Um, coming up, we're going to um, – well, we're going to have what we're watching. I watched – I am watching what I think is a very popular, highly rated TV show that everybody in the world loves these days. I don't know if I love it right. Really? Yeah, I'll tell people about it. I mean, I'm going to – I'm going to recommend it with reservations. And coming up at noon, this is we're really excited about this. We've been we've done a hundred plus tell us your story episodes now where we have interviewed sports legends, players, coaches, broadcasters, people who've had great moments in history. I'm sorry, let me change it. Historic moments. I want to please the caller. Yes. Um and you had the idea that let's take some moments from these 100 interviews and really kind of call through them. Yeah, and create a, a show called Best Of, Tell Us Your Story. And um, originally when I proposed it, I thought we'd, we'd get one show out of it. Uh, I thought we'd get one one-hour show out of it and it'd be pretty fun. Uh, but when I started going back through the interviews, um, they're really good. <laughs> they were really good. And I said to Glenn, I said, um, they're, they're, we can't possibly do just one hour. It'll have to be at least two. And then I went through some more, and I said, no, you know, it's going to have to be three. And we wound up doing three one-hour shows. We did the last, we did the last one called my, my Favorite Moment or My Greatest Moment, which was a lot of fun. We got a very nice response to that. And now the one we're going to run today is, uh, is a show where, everybody, where a lot of these guys are going to talk about how they started, where they came from, their families, their life's experiences, how they came to Philadelphia, and how in some cases they wound up leaving Philadelphia and the pain of that. So um, the show is called Roots. And uh, I think it's going to be, if you enjoyed the first of Best of Tell Us Your Story, I think you're really going to enjoy today. Nicely said. 215-592-9494. Ray Dittinger, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. And if you're a Philly sports fan, then you need to check out my friends at Shy Vintage Sports. They're your home for throwback sports apparel in Philadelphia. Now, it's locally owned. Scheib carries name brands as well as original designs by Philadelphia artists. So if you're thinking Philadelphia A's, you're thinking about Veterans Stadium, you're thinking about Franklin Field, you're thinking about Prism, the next time you need some new gear before the game or you're looking for the perfect gift, go to the store that, that evokes all of those memories. at Scheib Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Street, their main store in Center City, or you can go online to scheibsports.com. And you'll be sure to tell them that Ray sent you, and you will get 15% off. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by God and Window. Take advantage of God and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit Go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. First of all, before I get to the show that I have been watching, let me tell you, three of my favorite shows are either back or coming back very soon. Um, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel dropped last night. Season four, I believe. You know, Ray, I've recommended that show a lot. It's on Prime. Very funny, very smart show. I know it just uh, came out last night. I think you can stream all that. Um, Better Call Saul is coming back, which is the show that's kind of the the word I'm looking for, not preview. What do you call it when it's, it's, it's prequel? Prequel, thank you. To um, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and that's coming back very soon with Bob Odenkirk. Love him. Did you Bre- ever see no- Nobody? I have not. Oh, you got to see it. Yeah, yeah. They, the New York Times Magazine had he's like the feature piece this week. Oh, okay. Um, he had a heart attack while they were filming the last season, by the way, and they had to shut down production, start up. I I should see that. Give me the name one more time. Nobody. Yeah, I'm gonna see that. Uh, and the other show that I love that's coming back is Killing Eve, which is a great, uh, for those who like uh, their British cop shows, this is this is a pretty great one with Sandra Oh. Um, and so those, those shows are either back or coming back. But the show I've been watching, Ray, and I know you have some familiarity with the story with the character, is Reacher mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. It's getting great reviews. It's got a 4.75 out of 5 on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And it's got an 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb, which is a very exalted score. So I'm thinking, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. So I watched the first three episodes. Yeah, okay. Oh. It's, it's all right. It's okay. So here's the backstory. It is, um, it's an it's a pri- Amazon Prime series adaptation. Author Lee Child, uh, he's got this book franchise Central character is known as Reacher. I guess it's Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. They haven't yeah. said his first name in, the, in three episodes. Jack Reacher. Yeah, he says, they say, what's your name? He says, Reacher. They say, what's your first name? It's just Reacher. Like, it's, oh, real, it's Jack. Okay. Well, 26 books this, 20 books, yeah. six books this series. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, you, you said franchise. It is a full franchise. Yeah, I haven't read one of them. And, and the character, this guy Reacher, is a six foot five, 250 pound combination of Sherlock Holmes and J.J. Watt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you probably saw the two movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. I did with Tom, with Tom Cruise. Right. So he's about two feet short of what the character is supposed to be. Which was a real problem with Jack Reacher fans. They said this. You know, Tom Cruise is fine, but Tom Cruise ain't Jack Reacher. Well, he's the featherweight Reacher. Right. Yeah. So this this one plays true to that, and the actor is a guy named Alan Richson, um, who you may have seen in Titans or. He was um, he was one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in that franchise. Oh, he was also Aquaman in Smallville. Okay, well there you go. Um, so he basically he plays superheroes. Here he's not a super. Well, he is kind of a superhero here. Um, he is an ex-military police investigator who wanders around the United States, stumbling into criminal conspiracies every thousand yards or so. Mm-hmm. In this one, he's in rural Georgia, innocently minding his own business. He's there to learn about some great blues guitarist. He's he's a big fan of the blues, which actually there's 
tremendous music. I'm a fan of the blues, so they play the blues music throughout the series, and I love that. And, of course, wandering around minding his own business, he ends up as the main suspect in multiple murders. He has to clear his name, and then he starts informally working with the local cops to solve things. Fine. Good setup. I'm in. Remember Kung Fu? Yes. Right? It's kind of like the drifter with the heart of gold who gets to beat people up every 20 minutes. Right. That's this. If you take, uh, was that David or John Carradine? David Carradine. David Carradine. David Carradine. And you make him this six foot five stoic guy, that's the show. Right. That's it. Um, he's got great wisdom. You know, you can you can show him anything and he can tell you every single thing about it. Like Sherlock Holmes would look at a pencil and say, The guy who uses pencil is left handed, I can tell because the chew marks on it indicate this and so he's that guy. And then he beats people up. Mm-hmm. And that's the show. Um Lots of broken knees, but lots of noses exploding on the impact of super punches. You get to see that blood mm-hmm. flying. Lots of avenging. Um, you know what it is? It's Kung Fu meets Charles Bronson in Death Wish. Okay. that's it. I like to give you the mashup. Mm-hmm. That's the mashup. Sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, and I think it wanted to be Jack Ryan. It wanted to be Bosch, both very good book adaptations made into TV shows. And it just doesn't quite make it for me. Um, and I think for me, it's the lead. I think it's that the protagonist is not dynamic enough. He's the strong, silent type, bordering on boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really criticizing the actor because there's only so much the character can do. It, it, the character is just not dynamic enough to carry out eight episodes. And that's what there are. He's he's strong. He's as I said, he's incredibly analytical and observant. His moral compass is always due north, right? And it makes him kind of boring. Mm. Um, there's not much texture. Anyway, lots of cliches, lots of police show dialogue, uh, a, a flirtation with the local beautiful cop, um, stuffy detective always trying to stop Reacher from getting involved. You know every cliche you've ever seen mm. on every police show on every movie. It's in there. I've seen worse TV, and if if I have that proverbial bag of popcorn with me, I can I'll, I can watch this. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It doesn't strain my brain. It's on. It's not. It's not bad. Um, but f- there is so much excellence on TV right now that investing eight hours in Reacher, you can do better. As I said, people love it. People, it's getting great reviews. But I got to tell you what I think. Um, it's okay. I'll give it a. I'll give it a gentleman's C plus. Well, the people who are real fans of the Jack Reacher uh, books, Childs's books, as I said, and I said there are twenty six of them, um, never really embraced the movie version of it because they had a real problem with Tom Cruise being Jack Reacher because they had read all of these books and they had this mental picture in their mind of what the guy was going to look like, and he didn't look like Tom Cruise. That's for sure. Um, they describe him as kind of this big lumbering. Like almost oafish kind of character, and that certainly isn't Tom Cruise either. No. Um, and I read, I've read one book. I've read one book in the series. I read uh, Worth Dying For, which was sort of in the middle of the series after I had heard a lot of good things about it. I finally read one installment, and it's very action-packed, and you, you described the character very well. And I thought that uh, there, was one, there was one line that Childs wrote that desc- where he describes Jack Reacher. <laughs> and this... This will drive the point home of, of what this character is. Okay, here's how he describes him. He has a six-pack like a cobbled city street, 
He has a chest like a suit of armor and biceps like basketballs. That's his. That's the, the that's the author's description of what Jack Reacher looks like. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, well, does that sound like Tom Cruise? No, not exactly. No, but the but this guy that you're saying, it sounds like he's at least visually, in terms of how he looks, um, he looks more the part. Oh, definitely. He, I mean, that what you described is what he is. He looks. He looks like he could. I said J.J. Watt. He looks mm-hmm. like to me. I see him and I see J.J. Watt. Um, but he. He's just so damn stoic, and he's so damn smart, and he's so damn moral, and it's like, it's not that exciting. Yeah, I get you. Although, the, you know, he grab, there's one scene where there's five guys want to beat him up. It's always the case, like, five guys, like, okay, now we're going to beat you up. And you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they rush him one at a time, as in every cliche, as opposed to, like, we'll all rush him at the same time. But it's like, all right, I'll rush him, and then he'll he's like, snaps the guy's wrist. Right. And very good um, special effects because it, you, the guy's wrist is on cockeyed after that. Mm-hmm. And then the next guy rushes him, right? And he punches him in the nose and his nose explodes. And the third guy, oh, I guess it's my turn. And you've seen this cliche a million times, right? Right. And you get to see it again. That's good. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you've got it. This, te- this tells me, this conversation really takes me back to Odenkirk's movie, no- Nobody. You've got to see it. Because one of, the, okay. you, one of the beauties about Odenkirk, he's like this secret agent. That's been that's put the secret agent thing away, and he's now trying to live like this mild mannered suburban husband until he finally has to flip the switch. Again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the great thing about it is he has these fights mm-hmm. where he takes on like five or six guys. Yeah, and he does get beat up. Where okay, you know, good. Where he winds up winning. <laughs> you should be. He, he you know he he winds up beating up the five or six guys. Yeah. But in the end, he's all beat up too. Right. I, I mean, there's a plausibility. Yes. To it. No, this one. And and by the way. He has one. T- he walks into town with nothing, right? He is like he. It's a t-shirt and a toothbrush, and five days later he's wearing the same t-shirt. And I'm thinking like, doesn't it stink? I don't know. I think about these things. By oh, the way, no, uh, by, by the way, in the well, the, the book that I read, uh, he never he he doesn't carry clothes, right? He 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 he, wear, he throws them away and buys new ones. Yeah, but he always buys the same thing. Yeah, he buys well, a t-shirt and jeans. Well, maybe it's it. We just don't get to see him buy the t-shirt. I guess that yeah, the only it, thing he travels with is a toothbrush. Right. Well, that's they. they he's like Coy Detmer. <laughs> that's right. That's right. By the way, our friend Rhea Hughes checks in and says, "I find Reacher a fun, breezy watch better than Tom Cruise." And uh, yeah, it is. It's it is breezy. It is fun. It's not going to tax your brain. And sometimes you want a show like that, right? Right. If you don't mind the cliches, it's 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 okay. It's all right. I, I've seen worse. But I I listen. Since I started talking about it, I have text messages from one, two, three, four, five, six people who watch the show. So obviously, people are watching this show. Yeah. I'm just telling you. I approach Reacher with some degree. Well, I heard from with low expectations. I heard from a lot of people this week that were, took me to task for not liking licorice pizza. Oh, gosh, yes. My friend Biff, who runs Ripplewood uh, Restaurant on Lancaster Avenue, took a shot at you for this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Says, I, I like Ray, but what the hell is he thinking? I had like eight people say, what's the matter with you? How could you not love licorice pizza? And I had two other people that agreed with me. And said, you know it's right. going to win the Oscar now, right? Oh, probably will. It's gonna, you know what this is going to be? This is going to be your version of uh, The Shape of Water. <laughs> I hated that movie more than I hated anything I ever saw, and then it won the Oscar. No, this will win the Oscar. I don't know. No. Power, Power of the Dog is going to win the Oscar. Oh, which also sounds like it's incredibly horrible to watch. Well, it sounds really depressing. Yeah, I and, know and, people, and people who watched it have, have hated it. Yeah. 
which means it's probably going to win. Yeah, well, even last year it was um, what was the name of the the, the uh, Korean movie one? A Parasite. Yeah. Oh no 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 Nomadland. Oh yeah. Well, Parasite was two years ago. Parasite was two years ago. Nomadland was I, this year. I never liked the movie that wins. It's all indies. All windy, indies. Indies have won, I think, like the last three or four years. And I, and they're never good. Uh, they're not. They're always awful. And they, but you, if you're like highbrow, they're supposed to be good. You're supposed to like them, and they stink. That's it. That's the rant. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, let's get D in here from Virginia. Oh, okay. D, thanks for letting us rant. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Hey, how are I, you? I, fine, fine, gentlemen. I, I just wanted to say uh, to, to a previous caller, hey, I mean, come on. Carson played lights out 2017. I mean, we know where we are today with him, but you can't deny it, man. The, the kid played great. And, um, you know, I think it was probably just a combination of him you know, the mental stress of, of being hurt after he had such a good season, watching Nick lead us to the Super Bowl, the big contract and all the expectations, might might, might have just kind of overwhelmed the young man. But, you know, we, we were disappointed, you know, because of how he ended up playing. We thought we had our combination with him and Doug of Andy Reid and Donovan with a Super Bowl for the next years, and we really thought we had found our quarterback. Um, but to say he didn't play well, he you know, in 2017, that's – that's just not, you know. Yeah, no that was correct. that was foolish. That was obviously, yeah. obviously, we dismissed that nonsense. Like I said, we know where he's at now. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty, but get get a guy his credit, and I, I just hopefully it, it works out for me. I um, hope. I let you gentlemen go on a total separate note. I called a couple months ago, and I kind of told Ray uh, the story about my early years in the army in the early eighties. How everybody, you know, loved my loved the uh, Daily News and Inquirers and all the sports writers from Philly. I talked to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago. We were reminiscing. And he said he still has my copy of the Philadelphia Daily News the Monday after his 85 Bears won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I thought we were talking. I just thought that was hilarious. But oh, that is funny. Time. That is great. Hey, thank you. Great call. Thank you. Thanks, nice Steve. to talk to you. And I remember what I remember if, if he has that paper from the day after the Bears win the Super Bowl, I, I, still remember to, I still remember what I wrote in that paper. Is that right? Oh, yeah. All right. Go, let me think about this. So you're columnizing at the time. Yes. I wrote, a no, I, wrote a co- I wrote a column and I wrote a sidebar. Okay. okay. Who wrote the game story? The game story was written by Damo, I think. Okay. God, newspapers from here would go and do a game story on the Super Bowl. Don't see that anymore. Uh, I am guessing you wrote about Buddy Ryan. I wrote about Buddy Ryan. There you go. That is and Norman Brayman read Ray Dittinger's words, and then the rest is history. Uh, no, he had already made up his mind. Oh, okay. I, th- so I Jack, wrote- An- Jack Anderson wrote the column? That, the Dave Anderson. Dave Anderson. Dave Anderson of the New York Times. He wrote the, Anderson wrote the political column. He wrote the story at midseason crediting Buddy Ryan for building the 46 defense. And Norman Brayman, who didn't claimed he didn't read the Philadelphia Papers, but certainly read the New York Times. Oh, he read, read the that. Philadelphia Papers. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. But he would, only, he would only admit to reading the New York Times. Yeah. And he said that he read Dave Anderson's story about Buddy Ryan and the 46 defense and said, there's my next coach. So what did you say about Buddy that day? Well, I, I basically wrote that um, because when I went into the interview area, after the game, there was Buddy and standing off in the corner talking to Norman Brayman and Harry Gamble. So it was pretty obvious to me that they were just setting up, okay, when's, you know, when do you want to come in for the press conference? So I, I walked in. I didn't interrupt them in their conversation, but it's obvious what he's the coach, and there was no question about that. So that was my column. That, uh, you know, that, was, that was bigger than the Bears winning. It was, yeah. you're, you, just got, you just found your head coach. Wow. So that was my, that was my column. Good stuff. Yeah, and my sidebar was about Walter Payton finally winning a Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, see any good? Uh, 
No, he was he was he was angry after the game. Yeah, I think that's what I wrote about. Score the touchdown because yeah, they got the ball to the one yard line. And they gave it to William Perry. Yeah, I was Dick got screwed up on that one. Yeah, and so here's Walter Payton. Everybody goes over to him for his big moment. Oh, I finally won a Super Bowl. It's great. And he was like really bitter and angry and stormed off. That's too bad. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Don't go anywhere at noon when we have best of. Tell us your story. Origins and exits edition. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. It's time to check in with our doctor, David Gelt from Cooperbone and Joint. Doc, how are you? Pretty good. How are you guys doing today? We're doing all right. I want to play something for you, and then I'm going to ask you about this. This happened the other night, and as the Flyers were playing in Detroit against the Detroit Red Wings, here you go. As he ran out of real estate, and now he's hurt. He crashed into the boards, and Mayu is bleeding. Oh, he's bleeding badly. They got to get him help fast. As he went into the boards, careening in out of control, and not sure if his shield caught him or what, but obviously a lot of blood. You got that right, Jim Jackson. Thank you very much. So here's the story, Doc. Jerry Mayhew is a. Uh, I don't know, kind of a, a guy that Flyers called up out of necessity, and he crashes headfirst into the boards, as you heard, and uh, it's it's his eye. And, and this is what I want to ask you about, because this is the part I will not understand as a layman. And I know orthopedics is your specialty, but you've, you've given a stitch or two in your time, correct? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. He needed 12 stitches, six inside and six outside around his eye. What does that mean inside? So that basically means what they call subcutaneous stitches. So it's sort of underneath the skin and like the fascia, the, the soft tissue underneath. Um, it's not actually in the eye itself. It's actually just the skin underneath, like the fat and right. some other stuff. Yeah, I didn't like think they so, actually stuck a needle in your yeah. eyeball. But yeah, so it's – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So so basically that those are uh, absorbable sutures, so you don't actually have to ever take those out. They just dissolve. Um, and then you have the ones on the outside that you see that you normally see on the skin, and those you have to remove after five to seven days. Yeah, his eye so was. Just, uh, it just keeps the skin a little bar close together. How the heck did they get in there with that? I mean, that's got to be a very delicate situation. Yeah, I mean they're, they're absorbable sutures, so it's it's basically the same type of stitch. It's just underneath, so you do a couple layers. So you do because if it's a deep uh, injury as as it was, that's why it has so much blood. Um, you can go, you know, from the muscle then to the, the soft tissue and then the fat and then to the skin. So it just is, is a different layer, that's all. Yeah, you said, meanwhile, Ray and I are squirming around right now, and you're saying <laughs> it like, like, yeah, you just stick a needle under the guy's skin. There's a lot of blood. Once you numb it up, they can't feel it. And hockey players, they're a different breed anyway, as you know. Oh, yeah. They sure are. They sure are. Doctor, um, at the, in the first hour of the show, we were talking a little bit about uh, Carson Wentz's situation and, you know, the U-turn that his career has taken to the point where now it looks like the, the Indianapolis Colts are willing to trade him, and if they can't trade him, they're going to just cut him. seems amazing when you think about what he was prior to that injury in 2017. But um, this week I, was, I went back and I looked at some, what was written about him at the time of the injury, and we all know torn ACL, we knew that. The lateral collateral ligament, the tear in there, which they found out when they, began, when they did the surgery, proved to be more than they thought. But there was also, they mentioned in something, that, that I, a term that I had never heard, but maybe you can explain to me, was a tear of the IT belt, uh, the IT band, I'm sorry. What mm-hmm. is, what, now, that, that's new to me. What is that, and how, how much did that complicate matters? 
So it's called the aerial tibial band, and it starts at the, the top of the hip on the side and goes all the way down and attaches to the side of the, of the knee on the outside. So sometimes it goes along with that lateral collateral ligament that they mentioned. Um, a lot of times you, you get it, you get tightness with runners. Um, sometimes you get like a snapping on the side of the hip um, or the leg, but sometimes you get some lateral knee pain. It's not as significant as the ACL, which is the major stabilizing structure. So a lot of times the IT band, depending on if it's, you know, torn or stretched out, it can heal on its own a little bit. Um, but it's, um, it can be a, an issue with the lateral collateral ligament in particular, and that can cause some instability issues. All right. Dr. Geld, anything else on your mind today? Uh, nothing much. I'm actually looking forward to I'm going on a trip, so I actually just have a finished business I'm going to read on the plane, so I'm looking forward to that. Good for you. Hope, Hope you're going somewhere fun. Uh, yeah, I'm going out to Colorado. Oh, nice. A little skiing for yeah. the doc? A little bit. Hopefully uh, nothing with no injuries, but yes. <laughs> Hopefully you don't turn into all the patients that you see. That's right. That's right. All right. Dr. Geld, always a pleasure. Be well. Thanks, doctor. Enjoy right, the book. All right. There you go. Thanks. Dr. Geld's bringing my book on his vacation. How oh, nice. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Beautiful. Nice read on the plane. All right. Let me uh, sneak a couple calls in here. Now, Dave in Wynwood says he was at the Spectrum the afternoon the roof blew off. Is that right? Hi, Glenn. Uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, I was at the I was at the event. I was at the escapades. I was four years old with my family, and like Lou said, uh, it, the roof didn't the roof didn't exactly blow off like the Wizard of Oz or anything. But it was like he described. It was uh, like black black tile type stuff. I, he described it as tar paper. That sounds like right from my memory. It was almost like to a four-year-old, it looked like a, like a bunch of big black bats flying around, swirling around the, toward the uh, ceiling of the spectrum with uh, little uh, areas of uh, sunshine seeping through. Wow. Um, it was very windy that day. Uh, that morning, my uh, parents uh, pulled us across Packer Avenue uh, to get to the spectrum uh, against the wind, you know. <laughs> it was a very windy morning, and uh, it was uh, something i one of my earliest memories. I was on I would imagine. Did they, did, uh, Dave, did they, at what point uh, did they stop the show? I guess they must have stopped the show, right? It was right before the show. Oh, that's it was before good, the show? That's a good, good question, Ray. Um, I heard it described earlier, but I disagree in that. From what I remember, the show had not started yet. Right, that's I what I've be, heard. I could be wrong. No, no, I no, think, no. You're right. It, what I the article I read said, people were waiting for the show, which was imminently cor- about to begin. Correct. Here's correct. my other question for you, uh, and I know you're only four at the time, so you may not remember. Was there was there any degree of panic there? Uh, good question. Uh, a little bit. It's more like shock. Where I think there might have been an, like a PA, like please leave immediately kind of and people were just we were walking people i remember the adults and everyone just walking quickly up the steps back up the steps toward the exits that's the best of my memory i don't know if it was panic but i was only i was so young but yeah yeah, but you remember people were walking or rushing uh quickly back up the steps and exiting the place hey thank you for sharing that's uh I would think if you're, you know, even if I don't remember a whole lot of things from when I was four years old. Right. Kind of bits and pieces and snippets of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
that's one you'd remember forever. I would think so. Yeah, and you said it was eleven thousand and change in the building. That was a big crowd for them at that time. Sure, because the flyers were drawing seven, eight thousand. Yeah, I mean eleven thousand was that was a lot of people in I that s- building at escapades that time. Escapades used to be a thing. I don't know if it still is. I've been I have been to the escapades in my life, not in a couple decades, but escapades used to be a real thing. Yeah, it was. People and, would come, and big stars. Yeah, and they all it's ever since the building opened. It, it was always they always the show always rolled in right around Christmas time because yeah. the two the flyers the two, would go the on flyers the road. and the Sixers yeah. would both go on the road yeah. for like two weeks over Christmas and yeah. New Year's yep. and they turned the ice over to the uh, to the touring shows and they always drew well yeah uh, I one more call Reggie from Trends been hanging for a while Reggie I got about thirty seconds <laughs> but I know you wanted to ask about Aaron Donald yeah okay I just wanted to maybe get you and uh, Ray's opinion I hear a lot of people saying Aaron's the best defensive player ever I. <laughs> I still think Reggie, LT, Deacon Jones. What do you all think? I think that recency bias creeps into everything, including this argument. Ray, give me your top five defensive linemen ever. Um, well, ends and uh, t- actually, it shouldn't be defensive line because because we mentioned LT. Top five defensive players ever. Yeah, uh, ends. Right. Yeah, and, and ends and tackles are different. Uh, Angelo asked me about was Aaron Donald the best defensive tackle I've ever seen. No, I, I will always say uh, Joe know, Green. Yeah. I will always say Joe Green. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Joe Green early in his career before he pinched the nerve in his neck and basically was playing with one arm. First half of his career, he was the best defensive tackle I've ever seen. But the other guys, Reggie would certainly be in there. Um, uh, Lawrence Taylor would certainly be in there. Uh, Deacon I, Jones? Deacon Jones would certainly be in there. Uh, and I would say Bob Lilly. Uh, Bob Lilly would be – they would be the best. But Aaron Donald is absolutely in that conversation. But if I had to pick number one at defensive tackle, it would still be Joe Green. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Reggie. Appreciate you holding. All right, Ray, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the best of Tell Us Your Story, origins and exits, some of our favorite interviews, some of our favorite subjects talking about early in their life and also how their careers or how their time in Philadelphia ended. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. The presidential savings are going on right now at all United Tire and Service locations around the Delaware Valley. Right now, you can save big at United Tire and Service. Your favorite brands like Michelin, BF Goodrich, and more are on sale, and that makes it the right time to buy. Now through March the 7th. So come on in and meet the team and get excellent service. These guys, believe me, these guys know what they're doing. United Tire delivers value and expertise. You can trust that you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires. And tell them that Ray and Glenn sent you. And remember, don't drive alone. Drive United. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 